You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. It's no secret that we at N2K have a strong interest in cybersecurity and space. Our company's been working in the cybersecurity domain for the last decade, and we see that the space community is finally seeing the need to protect its assets in space and on the ground from cyber attack. It's a tricky topic. Many in the space community, myself included, have buried our heads in the sand when it comes to discussing cybersecurity. We just want to launch things up. Who thinks about how to protect it once the operation is in motion? Well, someone should, as we're about to find out. T minus 20 seconds to LOS Pedras. Go for the Today is November the 29th, 2023. I'm Alice Carruth, and this is T minus. JAXA comes under cyber attack. The US Army integrates space and cyber into its multi-domain ops doctrine. US and Saudi Arabia begin talks on space cooperation. And our guest today is novelist CK Westbrook on her sci-fi series. Stay with us for Maria's chat with the author to find out how her series relates to space. to today's Intel briefing. Japan's Aerospace Exploration Agency, known as JAXA, recently faced a significant cyber threat. The exploitation affected network equipment vulnerabilities, though specifics about the timing and methods remain undisclosed. The incident appears to be isolated to information technology. Fortunately, the breach did not compromise critical rocket and satellite operational data. This resilience highlights the importance of robust cybersecurity measures in safeguarding sensitive aerospace technology, especially operational technology. The incident came to light through an external tip-off, followed by an internal probe. JAXA's discretion on the informer's identity and the attacker's details underscores the sensitivity and ongoing nature of the investigation. Japanese media reports suggest that the cyber attack occurred in the summer, with the police alerting JAXA this fall. This delay raises questions about the detection and response times in such high-stakes scenarios. The attack is a stark reminder of the increasing cyber threats facing the aerospace sector. 
It underlines the need for continual vigilance and advanced security protocols to protect against such breaches, which have far-reaching implications for national security and technological advancement. The incident at JAXA, while concerning, serves as a testament to the agency's preparedness and response capabilities in the face of evolving cyber challenges. And on to other space and cyber news. In a strategic shift, the US Army has integrated space and cyber operations into its new multi-domain operations doctrine. This evolution builds on the air-land battle doctrine, extending into satellite communications and advanced cyber operations. Key areas affected will likely include targeting operations and large-scale training exercises at the Combined Arms Training Center. This update reflects a broader trend in modern warfare, recognizing the critical roles of space and cyber. Training will now encompass simulations that blend physical, human and informational dimensions, preparing soldiers for a digitized battlefield. These moves position the army to effectively confront contemporary security challenges across land, air, sea, space and cyberspace. The US and Saudi Arabia have begun negotiating a framework agreement for cooperation in aeronautics and the exploration and use of outer space for peaceful purposes in accordance to the Jeddah communique. The nations intend to hold technical discussions on potential cooperation activities. The US and Saudi have stated that they share a mutual desire to enhance cooperation involving commercial and regulatory development, responsible behaviour in outer space and space security. They say this effort could promote opportunities for collaboration between respective commercial space industries. And speaking of collaboration, India is considering partnerships with US aerospace companies Boeing, Voyager Space and Blue Origin. According to a statement released by India's Department of Space, these potential partnerships may extend to include Indian commercial entities. And India's space research organization released a statement following another day of meetings with NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, announcing a plan to launch a joint remote sensing satellite for Earth observation, known as NISAR, in the first quarter of 2024. The space agencies have been working on the NASA-ISRO Synthetic Aperture Radar mission since 2019. It will be the first radar of its kind in space to systematically map Earth. NISAR is reportedly the world's most expensive Earth imaging satellite, with a total cost estimated at 1.5 billion US dollars. York Space Systems has successfully demonstrated its Link 16 technology from space on its Tranche Zero satellites. In collaboration with the US Space Development Agency and a combatant command, this achievement marks a big development in advancing space-based communications for instantaneous global reach. According to the press release, the Tranche Zero satellite's full-duplex Link 16 communication capability represents a historic leap forward in space-based communication, ushering a new era of 21st century all-domain warfighting. Telesat Government Solutions, a subsidiary of satellite operator Telesat, has been awarded the Phase 2 contract of the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, Space-Based Adaptive Communications Node Programme. My goodness, that's a lot of words. The aim of the programme is to connect space, which will in turn help enable the Department of Defence Joint All-Domain Command and Control Initiative, this award is a follow-on from the Phase 1 contract given to Telesat Government Solutions in August of 2022. 
Telesat did not release the contract value with the press release. SpaceX is buying Pioneer Aerospace, which makes the parachutes that help the company's Dragon rockets return to Earth. According to a Florida bankruptcy filing, SpaceX will pay $2.2 million for Pioneer, whose parent company recently filed for bankruptcy. It's a rare acquisition for Elon Musk's company, and the first since it paid a reported $524 million US dollars for satellite startup Swarm in 2021 in a bid to expand its Starlink satellite network. And speaking of SpaceX, the company says it's working on a second version of its Starship Super Heavy. We're just days on from the latest Starship test, which was largely successful, but Musk's company has already got plans for improvement. Not new news for a space company to think about how it would do something better. We'll be keeping our eyes on Boca Chica to see if the fourth iteration of the Starship that's already waiting for launch is the last of the version that we see in flight. And that concludes our briefing for today. Stay with us for Maria's chat with novelist C.K. Westbrook. You'll find links to further reading on all the headlines that I've mentioned in our show notes or at space.n2k.com and click on the episode title. Haiti Minus Crew, if you find this podcast useful, please do us a favor and share a five-star rating and a short review in your favorite podcast app. It will help other space professionals like you find the show and join the T-Minus crew. Thank you. We really appreciate it. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is novelist C.K. Westbrook. C.K. is an environmentalist that uses her creative writing to explore narratives in the space industry that she believes that we should be paying attention to, like space debris. Hear, hear. We join her chat with Maria as she explains her book series. It's called The Impact Series. It's made up of three books. The first is The Shooting, and that was published in March of 2022. Book two, The Collision, was published in September of 2022. And then The Judgment was published in March of 2023. And that's book three, and that's the entire series. However, there's a fourth book that's going to be published in March of 2024 uh, called The Aftermath. And it's in the same world, but it's a standalone novel. Well, that's exciting. Okay, so we are a space podcast. So I, I, I'm very curious, but there's, I know there's a space connection in your work. Without giving... The whole thing away, because I know you want people to read it. <laughs> Do you want to give us like the, the, the pitch for maybe the arc of the story and also a bit about the space connection in there? Science fiction traditionally has some kind of a catastrophic event. It could be an out-of-control mushroom, Skynet, Terminators, a comet. Um, something huge and catastrophic happens. In my series, it's kind of unique. The catastrophic event is when almost every gun owner in the world turns their weapon on themselves and a terrifying 15-minute window. Psh, 
changes everything. Total global catastrophe. Hero rises up. She has to figure out how on earth could that happen? Why? And can she prevent future violence? So that's basically the premise of the shooting. And it's very suspenseful. It's like one day after the shooting, two days after the shooting, three days, because everything is just in pure chaos. The Collision, which is book two, has it a collision in it. And I will, it's not really a spoiler, but it's Kessler syndrome. It is um, a collision in space. And it kind of triggers a lot of horrible things that happen. And then book three is judgment. And it's like, who's judging who? Who caused this catastrophe? Uh, and that's, without going into too much detail or giving too much away, that's the, that's the arc of the, of the series. Mm. On our show, we tend to cover things like space debris and Kessler syndrome. And it makes sense that it's a, an area that's ripe for exploration in, in fiction. And I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about maybe what attracted you to it? Like what, what made you go, oh yeah, that's something I definitely want to write a novel about. I'm an environmentalist. By, that's what I do for my professional life. And I work on pollution all the time. So it's water pollution, air pollution, climate change biodiversity extinction crisis, which of course is caused by pollution. And space debris to me is just pollution in space. So, and I, you know, grew up in Florida. I grew up near Kennedy Space Center. I've always been intrigued by space and that kind of heartbroken to learn that we've kind of taken our tendencies to leave our waste and not clean up after ourselves and get caught up in whatever we're doing, being oil and gas drilling or mining or enjoying plastics until we look around and go, oh my gosh, what has happened? There's a huge mess. <laughs> yes. And then it's like, well, who's going to clean that up? And <laughs> often we don't pay attention to it until it's hurting people. And as you know, space debris is on the brink of causing some kind of a catastrophic problem, either to satellites or to the International Space Station, which has already had to move a few times. I mean, this stuff moves at what? thousand miles per hour um, or more. And it's like, we need to, or it's going to hit an astronaut now that we have a lot more tourism and people going into space. So we're on the brink of some kind of a catastrophic problem. And I know you cover it, the press covers it, but I don't think the American public has really understood how dangerous it really is and how catastrophic it can be to our satellites, our communication, all kinds of things, um, military. And I, so I feel like, the scientists, the brilliant people, the intellectuals, they know what's going on, but they're not really doing anything about it, right? But then, I, so I feel like putting it into entertainment, putting it into um, science fiction might get it out to a broader audience that this is a potential huge problem. And again, being an environmentalist, pollution, 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 it's almost the same concept and it's the same thing. It's just in space. I think that's a very good point. And, um, when I think of space debris and I think of how I, I have some examples in my head of comic books, TV shows, novels that have done a really good job of talking about space debris. Um, but you're right. It hasn't really been picked up as much by the general public as, a, as an issue. What do you think that works like yours can sort of tell the general public and teach us? Uh, and what, what do you hope people will kind of come away from uh, after reading your work? There's a lot of themes in these books. Gun violence is definitely one of them, which I put into the category of things that we think make us safe, that don't make us safe, and then how we kind of undervalue things that make us safe. So it's kind of the way we think about things. Space exploration is super exciting right now. I mean, so much has been happening in just a few years. And I think people are kind of caught up in the sexy fun of it. And 
without thinking about the ramifications, the consequences, what makes us safe, what doesn't make us safe. And I hope that they will think about it in terms, like we were just discussing, that air, water, biodiversity, nature, healthy, sustainable ecosystems, a climate-resilient world is very important to our existence and our and our happiness, right? Um, and that we should kind of think about space in the same zone and that we need to start being more conscientious I am an environmentalist. I'm a pro-regulation person. I'm like, we need to put in regulations. We need to make people uh, responsible who are going up to prevent space debris and to clean it up. We know that if you don't get ahead of it, it can get out of control. Some people might say it's already out of control. Um, And also punishment. There has to be consequences to the actions that are severe enough to make industry and governments not do it. Again, we have learned from our previous mistakes where we kind of let the oil and gas industry do whatever they want, mining, oh, because we need it, right? Just like space, we use the same thing. We need the technology. We need our quest to learn. This will be, this will bring minerals back. It'll make things better. That's always been the excuse for allowing people to just kind of abuse and exploit resources and then leave a mess. So I'm hoping that these books help people make this connection and then articulate their concerns that we need to to address this. Yeah, I think... That's a really interesting point. I feel like there's often something missing in the conversation about our responsibility to our planet, including space. That happens, as you mentioned, because space is very sexy and like it's a very interesting technical challenge. Um, But there's an element of like the ethics are not really discussed. And also, what does that mean in terms of humanity? And what do you think creatives can bring to that conversation? Like yourself, like you, you also have an environmentalist point of view, which is also extremely important. Through your creative work, you can explore a lot of hypotheticals that, you know, maybe people who are really heads down on the technical side of things aren't thinking about. No, it's a really good question because, again, struggling that with this issue in the environmental world, the problems are so big. They're so far away. Space couldn't be much more far away um, for, for regular Americans. How can you be concerned about it? The creative thing, the storytelling, is to make people, characters, you know, Sinclair Jones is an astrophysicist in the book, and I want people to care about him. And when you're writing creatively, you can do that, right? You can make people get vested in Kate, vested in Rex, vested in these characters. And then when these terrible things happen and good things happen, people can put them in their place and see that. Whereas when I just think you're reading, you know, a newsletter or, or an article in a newspaper, I don't think people can make that personal connection. Because when you're reading a story that you love, People, you know, end up loving the characters or hating them, which is okay, too, because there's bad guys. And I feel like that is why the creative artistic side is super important dealing with every single issue. Like I said, gun issues. It's got feminism. It's got, like, how we allow wealthy people and powerful people to make decisions that they should not necessarily be making because Mm -hmm. they're not doing it in the best interest of the collective, right? They're just basically want to make money. And even in the space industry, it's just like early on or early on in the environmental issue. You hear these brilliant people talking about efficiency, making money, getting profit. How do we do this to make it profit? And that's like frightening because anytime you just put money ahead of everything, you're right. It's the other things become less important. And going back to it in the books, one of the characters, because all the characters represent different things, right? 
talks about how she doesn't want to live in a world without whales and sea turtles and trees and grass. And there's decisions that get made about where people are going to go. And I think that's important, too, to remember what do we value about Earth so much? And even when you hear these people talking about, like, let's go to Mars, like, well, the first thing we're going to do is figure out how to get enough oxygen up there. Then we got to bring trees. Then we have to bring things that'll make people happy, like food. And where are we going to get all these natural resources and all these things? Well, from Earth, which we're already struggling to keep in a sustainable way because of our abusive and exploitation from pollution and from population and from wars and from profiteering. So it's kind of like the whole same thing. And again, just making characters think about these things and hopefully people will care about the characters. And that's where I think art and creativity comes to the table with big problems. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero-trust-ai. Welcome back. So the NYSAR system is a whopping 1.5 billion US dollars, and it's got me thinking about the cost of space missions. We all know that they're super expensive and historically were even more so, but what are the most expensive space missions that have been conducted to date? So let's start back in the 1960s with a small program known as Apollo. You may have heard of it. It cost NASA a mere 25 billion US dollars to get human spaceflight up and running. The program started in 1961 with the first Saturn 1 and was retired shortly after the 12th man walked on the moon with the Apollo 17 mission in 1972. $25 billion back in the 1960s amounts to an inflation-adjusted cost of around $257 billion today, making the Apollo program the most expensive lunar space program to date. Now I'm going to add that to date as NASA is currently working on the Artemis program which will return humans to the moon in the coming years. The latest audit stated that the Artemis missions will have topped 93 billion US dollars by 2025, which includes billions more than originally announced in 2012, as years of delays and cost increases plagued the lead up to Artemis 1. The SLS rocket represents 26% of that cost at a tune of 23.8 billion. So human spaceflight programs are obviously more expensive than an Earth observation program like NISAR, but what about a space observation program to compare it to? Well, let's have a look at the Hubble Telescope, a joint NASA-ESA program that launched in 1990 and is expected to continue for another decade. Hubble has cost 16 billion US dollars to date, but has exceeded its original lifespan of 15 years. James Webb, which is the NASA-ESA and Canada joint mission, has a price tag of 10 billion dollars, but was only launched in 2021. 
It's the largest and most powerful space telescope to date and is expected to be in operation for at least 10 years. All these billions of dollars are enough to make me weep into my cuppa. The business mind on me even wants to question the ROI, but I'll leave that up to you to decide. That's it for T-minus for November the 29th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. This episode was mixed by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Calf, and I'm Alice Carruth. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>